another episode of Glass Half Full Moon, where if we didn't toil in the Mexican uranium mines, Full Moon Features would go out of business. I am once again joined by my oh-so-wonderful co-host, Gabe. How are you doing tonight, Gabe? I am doing excellent, uh, though I was outside a lot today, and the it was very hot. It's very, it was very bright. I need to needed to sort of wear some sunglasses and you know several layers of protective clothing. And I mean, you know, as a ginger, I am well versed in sunscreen, given that I tend to wear vampire grade, as I like to call it. And we are uh, sort of experiencing this movie firsthand, uh, given the current state of the world, but. Today, what we watched was a film entitled Crash and Burn. Well, secondarily, it was titled Crash and Burn. Originally, this movie was titled Robot Jocks 2, even though it has nothing to do with the first Robot Jocks that was made by Empire Pictures, oddly enough directed by Stuart Gordon. From what I understand of that movie, it was a film about how all great wars have ended and now any conflicts between countries are settled purely via giant robot battles. Yeah, I think I might have to watch this one because that actually seems pretty fun. And I am a, I am a bit of a fan of Stuart Gordon as is. So I, I might have to watch that one on my own time, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about Robot Jocks 2 crash and burn or as we're just going to call it crash and burn for the rest of this episode it's how it's listed on imdb so i assume that's just sort of the main way that it is meant to be addressed i mean it's not the first time that a movie was labeled as a sequel to another one completely unrelated to it i mean trolls 2 for example has nothing to do with the original trolls it doesn't even have anything to do with trolls to begin with they're all goblins I don't think I don't even think that Trolls Three has anything to do with Trolls Two. And then there's also the whole Thanks Killing Three, the joke being that there is no Thanks Killing Two. But And we will not be watching Thanks Killing. No, that that is a whole nother mess that I don't want to go into. Although maybe if we're drunk enough in the future for a special holiday episode. No. You can't pay me enough. We're not, we're not getting paid. I know, that's the point. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. First of all, going off of the cover art for this film, it is, once again, a tremendous lie. <laughs> as it is presented as being a giant robot film, which there is exactly one giant robot that exists in an active state for perhaps... Maybe five minutes? Yeah, that is that is the approximation, I would say. About five minutes of active giant robot. The rest of this film is a whodunit murder mystery. It's Shadow Zone again. Yeah, I actually enjoyed Shadow Zone more, though. But except for one particular part of this movie, which we will get to very shortly. There is exactly one... I would say there's a series of moments, but there is one in particular that stands out in my mind, yes. Well, there's... It's all in due part to one person. 
in this film. Right. Uh, but speaking of which, I suppose we should get it out of the way. Casey, was this a good film? Uh, as I said, I didn't like it as much as I liked Shadow Zone. It had some genuinely good moments. I will say that much. It had some genuinely good moments. But on a grading scale, I would give this one maybe a C minus, a D plus, something in there. It's not average. It's not failing. It's just kind of meh. I will say the uh, whoever did their location scouting did a phenomenal job. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I suppose we start off uh, watching a motorcycle go down a desert highway being drove it, driven by Speed Racer, <laughs> as it appears. American Speed Racer. American Speed Racer, all in pure white clothes, white helmet, and they're dri driving down this desert highway and they come up to a place called Bud's Last Chance. Not to mention, this is this is all going on while the credit sequence is going, which I actually kind of liked the music they had going on with the opening credits. Like, Richard Band is a pretty good composer, as is, but I had a, I had a particular fondness for this opening credit music, and I think it's because it reminded me so much of a silent running on dangerous ground. Right. Yeah, it... it certainly set the mood well enough and that's what I'll say there is a good amount so far from these uh, full moon features the music has been fairly good well, I, I mean it's Richard Band Dick Band does a great job <laughs> with his music is, is that seriously what you're gonna call him Dick Band Dick Band you can't stop me that's disrespectful to a degree so we get our intro credits played over this guy driving into Bud's Last Chance, where we get some world building, where he his bike runs on kerosene, which is, you know, is a fuel source. He could, it, his bike could run on kerosene. However, we also see a guy who looks like some kind of a weird techno mutant who's got, like, these weird sunglasses on and his face is covered in boils. And apparently, if you stay out in the sun for too long, that's what happens to you. Yeah. So, basically, the whole premise here is that the ozone layer is gone, Earth is too damn hot. And this dude, I think we later find out his name is Scratch, He he's a bit touched from the sun. Uh, that That is what they say. And he likes to stare out of the sun and likes Batman, we later learn. <laughs> but I mean, who doesn't like Batman? Fair enough. But we get some more sort of background to this apocalypse where we also get a television signal. And now this is something that I think is kind of interesting about this setting that I think was done purely by accident, which is that the setting of Crash and Burn is in a lot of ways a pre-apocalypse, where there is still some society left, there are still people going out and, you know, doing day jobs, and there are, like, newscasts and all that stuff, but the wasteland exists, there are people, like, boiling in the sun, and it is genuinely a sort of interesting take on the apocalypse 
and I I found found it very interesting. This this isn't even your standard apocalypse. This is also like a Big Brother apocalypse because like we find out that this biker dude is working for a corporation named Unicom, which I guess apparently runs everything to the point where there is a dissenting uh, freedom group. The Independent Liberty Union. Yeah, the Independent Liberty Union that this newscaster is obviously in support of because he actually goes off script during his broadcast to the point where he gets cut off. The screen goes static and he is replaced with one of those uh, we are experiencing technical difficulty things with the Unicom brand on it. So obviously this is a global corporation that has sort of taken over in regards to economy, government, all aspects of life. Are you familiar with the band um, My Chemical Romance? Yes. This is... this. Isn't this basically just the Danger Days soundtrack? Or the Danger Days album? It feels very similar to Danger Days in its presentation. And it, it is entirely possible that Gerard Way saw this at some point and was like, Yeah, that that's cool. I'm going to remake that and make it cool. I honestly wouldn't doubt it. I mean, like, dude's a big fan of comics and old hor- old, uh, old movies and whatnot, so I wouldn't doubt if he drew some inspiration for the true lives of the fabulous Killjoys from this. Yeah, it's... it, it Again, it's an interesting apocalypse, which I think was done purely by accident in the uh, world... In, in the writing of this film because there's no way they put that much thought into it, right? Yeah, but it turns out our hero dude um, actually has business with our news anchor gentleman and so after he loads up with his kerosene and Scratch just asks him why he should stay out of the sun we end up at this TV studio So... There is one thing I want to touch on before we move forward, is that he pays for his gas, he fills up his bike, and it's $30 to fill up his bike, and I'm pretty sure, and this movie came out in 1990, Mm -hmm. that they were like, oh my god, $30 to fill up your tank, that's insane, and I'm sitting here like, no, yeah, that's that's about right, that sounds about right, yeah. For kerosene, yeah, that, that sounds about right. And this movie is set in 2030, so I think they're kind of lowballing it, if I'm being honest. Uh, I mean, of course, they they had no idea how things would end up this far out, so, you know? I mean, to be fair, they also f- brought about snake jerky, and I'm pretty sure that's a thing we do have nowadays, considering we've got fish jerky, we've got turkey jerky, we've got- we, we can jerky most things nowadays. Snake jerky, I'm sure, already exists. God, I need myself some snake jerky right now. I will find you some on Amazon and send it to you. I'll make some myself. I'm sure I can find a fucking snake and just... uh, (laughs) I don't know how jerky is made, but I can learn. All I know is that it tastes great. So, we move forward with our hero, Tyson is his name. He's going and he's meeting up with this uh, sort of producer, I guess you could say, out in the wasteland. 
who has a building that he is using and he is broadcasting various uh, forms of media. He's got a talk show, he's got like a, a education channel, and this is again giving me vibes from another post-apocalyptic bit of media. Have you ever played the video game Rage? I have not. A big part of that uh, universe is that there is like a TV station that is broadcasting like mutant slaughter across the wasteland and just having this TV studio out in the middle of the wasteland was giving me vibes from that series. Hmm. Well, I've seen Rage 2 at work, so it might be something I actually have to pick up eventually because we do have copies of it available for the PS4. It it could it's it's certainly worth at least a little bit of a playthrough. But we we start out we are on a talk so talk show set for a man named Winston Wicket who is talking to two porn stars? I believe they are sex workers. Sex workers, porn stars. Well, I mean, I I don't think porn is their legitimate thing. I believe they are simply um, people who get paid to have sex with individuals. Whereas with porn, oftentimes it is faked. Right. Well, we don't know if this was like a candid camera thing. They do have footage of them having sex. Which we came very close to seeing some tits, but no, no. However, the set for the talk show looks like a high schooler set. It does. It looks it does. ridiculous. Like the the man's podium that he's sort of sitting at is like wrapped in tinfoil. The back is made out of like poster board. It's ridiculous. Not, not to mention like... I think legitimately the entire reason this guy has these women on his show is to berate them. Because, like, like he gets a call in and apparently he's saying, oh, these women are dirty and they're not as good as whatever synthoids are. Which is literally our first mention of this, of this entity known as a synthoid. This character on the phone says the phrase, these prosties ain't as good as them synthoid prosties. And I am in love with the term synthoid prosties. It's so ridiculous and such nonsense. Yeah. It's another one of those things in this film where they will just say vague shit that doesn't get paid off. And like, so the phrase synthoid prosties is brought up once and is never like explained, but. They finish up their interview. Apparently, Wicket is here to have sex with these two women after he berates them. And we meet our character, Lathan, is his name? Yeah, Lathan Hook. Which I think, just call him Hook from here on. Yeah, well, my notes doesn't have, like, a red line underneath Lathan, so I guess it's a real thing. But Tyson comes in, he's like, hey, I got my your delivery of Freon, because, like, the temperature is crazy out here. And he's like, yeah, whatever, you work for Unicom. I don't trust you corporate bastards, but I guess I do need that Freon. So I guess you can stay and do your business. And we meet another character named Aaron, I believe. Aaron, yes. And Aaron is Lathan's granddaughter, I guess, who is working at the station as a, a camera operator. 
And, of course, literally the first thing is older guy flirting with a girl who's way too young for him. Like, she even specifically says that she's 16. They specifically say she's 16, and they're talking about her kissing, and it makes me super uncomfortable watching it. And we're going to get more uncomfortable with this character later on. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't like it. Let's move on to the best part of this film. We find out Bill Mosley is the handyman of the station. Bill Mosley is the handyman. Uh, Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, House of a Thousand Corpses. Good, big horror, like, actor is here. And he is the repairman at the station. And he, he steals the show. He is the best part of this movie. Legitimately, his... His playing as Quinn is the best part of this movie, but I'm biased because I'm a huge Bill Mosley fan. So it's like anytime I see him in something, I'm just like, ooh, I'm going to like this. Mainly for his performance alone. But Aaron also, in this time, shows uh, Tyson the giant robot that is just hanging out outside the building. And once again, they mention how this was like a robot used for work in the Mexican uranium mines, which is, again, just some random bullshit they throw out and never explain. Literally said once and then never mentioned again. But I I love it. And (laughs) we get a bit more as we're sort of wandering around the station. We meet another character. Uh, I forget her name. Paris? I don't remember her name. I don't, I literally just, in my notes, call her school teacher. And of course, Tyson gets all goo-goo-eyed about school teacher, and I'm just like, make up your mind on who you're creeping on. But we also get some explanation into the lore of this world, which is the reason that normal people aren't allowed to have computers is because the world collapsed because of uncontrolled computer stocks being constantly bought and sold by different countries. And I, I, again, I love the phrase, uncontrolled computer stocks. Basically, Unicom took over when a ton of countries defrauded on their national debts. And they also decreed that computers were no longer able to be used by the common folk because they're not trustworthy enough to use them without causing another economic holocaust. And apparently robots are also banned because of some weird thing about the Book of Revelations? You were wrong. It's not an economic holocaust. They specifically say the phrase, the econo-collapse. Eh, same thing. It's so ridiculous, and it it reminds me of kind of like Mad Max style, where they just make up fake words to describe like real things but yeah robots are banned because of the book of revelation uh, computers triggered the econoclapse apparently winston's father owns the mortgage on the wasteland television station and i just wrote wasteland mortgages in question marks <laughs> I mean, that probably means that he owns the mortgage to Unicom. I guess, but I do like the idea of someone, some fucking... Throughout the apocalypse, society has collapsed. This entire area is referred to as the Wasteland. However, landlords still exist and still enforce rent. (laughs) 
is very funny to me. Yeah, that that is pretty funny. The, these guys do not ride Eternal, Shiny, and Chrome. They ride, for a few centuries, kind of dull and a little matte. They ride in their beige sedans. <laughs> their little yellow Vespas. But we get more creeping on the 16-year-old, where they're, like, talking about how the oceans are completely polluted, and how some of the women there would love to go out in, in bikinis. And Aaron, the 16-year-old, is like, oh, yeah, that really, you'd want to go in a bikini? That doesn't, that's stupid. And uh, Bill Mosley is like, yeah, the only reason you don't want to is because you couldn't fill one out with your flat chest. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but once again, Bill Mosley being wonderful. I guess it's... I can only hope that this character, I mean, this actress is of age, is not actually 16. Because we also do later just straight up get, not not full bare-chestedness, but she's like in the mirror, like pressing her chest together, and you can see her nipples through the uh, bra. But to be fair, back then, bras were made of pretty flimsy materials to the point where nip was pretty common. Yeah, but it just makes me super uncomfortable that we're focusing on this as a as like a teenager. And I'm not saying that like the idea of like a teenager discovering their sexuality is not is not valid. One of my legitimate favorite movies is literally about the entire notion of lycanthropy being uh, related to female puberty. Literally one of my favorite movies, so it's not an uncommon topic in these sort of films. Right, but the thing is, I don't trust Charles Band to write it. True. It's a valid narrative, but not for this movie. Not for Charles Band. We don't trust him. We don't trust Charles Band, and it's not even as though this, this narrative is paid off at any point. They just sexualize a 16-year-old, and it's very weird. But we get a scene where some kind of, like, heat wave is coming in, and it's it's going to be dangerous to drive out on the surface. So they're like, hey, Tyson, it's dangerous to go out there. Why don't you just hang out here for a bit and wait for the uh, heat wave to pass? It's like, sure, fine, whatever. Random thought. Why is it that Richard Band is a actually very good composer, but Charles Band, his brother... Kind of sucks. I don't know. Well, we need to know which is the older brother. I think that's the first step in this hypothesis. Maybe. Uh, the Moving only... on. Yeah. So they're locked in an underground facility because, again, we're just doing Shadow Zone again. But we now get our first scene of the whodunit, where... Lathan is going up and he's sort of working on some mysterious tech that we do not see and someone approaches him and throws him over this balcony. He goes crashing onto the ground and, electrocute, and is electrocuted to death and all of a sudden it's a whodunit, who killed him? And I told you, because I saw this movie before you, to guess who you thought did it and for us to compare notes. Because I, I guessed right away who it was going to be. So what do you... Who did you think it was? My guess from the get-go was Quinn. That was my guess as well. 
Yeah, because, like, we saw the boots for a bit when uh, Hook was hanging from the balcony. Uh, we saw the boots that stepped on his fingers, and I'm just like, it could be a red herring, but those are way too big to be female. So I was like, it's gotta be a dude. Um, Wicket is too much of a coward and way too busy with his lady friends. So the only other option is Quinn. So that was my guess from the get-go. Well, my thing was Quinn, he outright says he's not here as like a permanent gig. He just sort of goes from place to place. They recently got here. I'm like, okay, he's got the sort of timeline of events that would lead him to be doing something like this. Yeah, because he'd said he'd been there for about six months. But we watch as the satellite dish for the television tower does collapse in, and just overall, the place is now even worse than it was before as we were out in the uh, wasteland. And Quinn says, okay, we gotta go out, we gotta perform a power bypass, which is just a long way of saying we're restarting the generators. And basically, Aaron comes to the conclusion, while she's like in her panic state because her grandpa died, that Unicom was the one who killed him. Not even that, like, I think she was legitimately just talking in her sleep. No, you're right. To reveal... She was talking in her sleep to reveal pertinent information. And I'm just like, this girl's a terrible actress. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, her deliveries are so flat. She's doing her best. She's doing her I best. I know, but she's still so bad. I mean, I honestly think the best actors in this movie were the sex worker ladies and Bill Mosley. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely amazing. They're absolutely great. But we get a scene of Bill Mosley and Tyson going up to the surface to fix the generators. And their sort of protective gear is like a white jumpsuit and they have goggles on, but nothing covering their face, which seems highly ineffective when we're dealing with intense, intense heat. Yeah, but I don't imagine sunscreen is easy to get your hands on in this day and age. Because, I mean, like, we we find out early on that those white suits are called cool suits, and they are made by Unicom. So they are meant for uh, temperature regulation. But I don't I don't imagine that they just keep sunscreen on hand, considering the fact that they're in desperate need of Freon from an outside source. Right. I'd expect them to at least cover their face. But they... You know what is interesting? They they straight up fix the generators, no problem. Which raises the question, why was this an aspect of the movie that needed to be filmed? Oh, that's right, we have a running time we need to hit. Plus also, uh, the two ladies bullying Winston as well. Which I thought was wonderful. Oh yeah, it's great. It's it's very good. They tell him to go, because they're not sure that they're going to be able to get water back. So they're like, okay, go to the toilet and like ladle out the water from it and we're going to boil it. And they send Winston to go and do the toilet work. Yeah, but they're also like, oh, you're telling me you haven't drank toilet water before? And I'm just like, 
these gals are so protective of each other and they're just bullying this dude and I am here for it. So do you want to hear a fact that might make you think better of Charles Band? What? So I was looking on IMDb about this film and one of the trivia bits says that the two sex worker characters were meant to be more explicit drug addicts. But Charles Band thought that that was too cliche, so he had it toned down in the final script. Okay. Yeah, okay. That that does win him some points. That that does win him a few points there. Of course, that is saying that is, you know, granting that this is true and not just something that he made up to make himself look better. But I mean, we we've seen Puppet Master. We've seen Meridian. But we get uh, some Aaron disappears. Uh, they she's doing some weird techno bullshit at a computer, and we get the traditional scenes of people just sort of wandering around and doing whatever, just so that we can get to a certain amount of running time. I will say. It must have been so fun shooting in a place like that with all the pipes and in the industrial things going on. Like, major kudos to the location scout for this, because, like, this was a cool setting. Oh, yeah. Like, this, this, this building was so freaking cool. There are early on scenes where Tyson is sort of just driving through this wasteland with, like, concrete destroyed buildings... And it genuinely looks really good. And I also need to say that um, I, I, I've made the comment that this is just Shadow Zone again several times. Do you genuinely think that they reuse some sets from Shadow Zone for this? Maybe. I mean, to be fair, a lot of these movies came out within a very short span of time within within like months of each other. Considering this is our second, third movie that's come out in 1990. Right. And it won't be our last. Right. So it could very well be that they've reused some things from Shadow Zone for this one. But we get those scenes and eventually Aaron makes her way to Tyson and is like, hey, I found this computer that's got all this thing, these things on it and it's basically telling me that one of the people in this facility is a synthoid who has been reprogrammed to eliminate the first law of robotics to allow them to kill. Which is as out of left field as it sounds as I am describing it. It does give us an explanation as to what synthoids are. It's basically just a fancy term for android. Yeah, it's just Blade Runner. It's just Blade Runner. Yeah, and apparently Unicom has been using them as watchdogs to keep dissenters in line. It's really... Oh, they also, at this stage, say the title of the movie, that the protocol to deactivate the first law of robotics in the synthoids is referred to as the crash and burn protocol. It's like, oh, <laughs> they did it! They said the thing! <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Then again, I think I was like half paying attention when I watched this earlier. I was just like, eh, let's get this over with. But 
another thing that they say in that scene is that they list a series of numbers, and she's like, this is the target for the synthoid. These are my, this is my grandfather's social security number. And I'm like, Wasteland Social Security. That is very weird. Well, I mean, of course, everyone has to be registered with Unicom since they own everything. They run everything. It kind of makes sense there. But I mean, yeah, it is still the Wasteland. But the next thing we get is they're doing the blood test from the thing. Yeah, like... Aaron straight straight up cuts Tyson because she's like, I had to make sure you weren't a synthoid because synthoids don't bleed. And they go around the table cutting everybody to make sure that they bleed. And Winston gets it the worst because like... Bill mostly just stabs him. Yeah, Bill mostly just straight up slashes his hand, doesn't even rinse off the scalpel uh, in between cutting himself and Winston... But to be fair, Winston kind of deserved it, who's being a bit of a dick. Yeah, he did deserve it. But then we also see that everyone at the table passes the bleedy test. So at this point, we have no idea who the synthoid is, or even if there is one to begin with. Like, the code could have been a red herring. Right. And then what we get is a scene of the teacher character and Tyson mad fucking. It's literally just two minutes of them getting fucky and breathing and humping. I I counted. It is two full minutes of just them close up getting humpy. And it it escalates rapidly. Yeah, it <laughs> it goes very fast. It it they are just sort of like alone in a room, and she just literally comes up to him. She's, she's like, "It's been so long since a man held me." And smash cut to them mad fucking. Are are we talking? Are we talking like mad as in like crazy or mad as in angry? Why not both? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I can get down with that, but I mean, at least this it didn't need to be this blatant, but at least it wasn't terribly long. Mm-hmm. I mean, two minutes is still way too long, but it could have been worse. And then. After they get their fucky-fucky done, Tyson wakes up and decides to smash into the shotgun cabinet with his bare arm to pull out the shotgun, which, why was that even there to begin with? That, that's exactly what I say, is what? Shotgun? Huh? But we also see that uh, Winston's hand is, like, swelling up and looks kind of, it looks really gross, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that something set in that quickly. To be that bad and Tyson goes to check out the old Freon tanks that we, they found in one of the storage areas and it turns out they're full of blood no Freon just looks like blood ooh they're full of coolant yes and we get a scene of Aaron walking around and we get some like synthoid vision which is just normal vision but with a filter on it and who did it dun 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 it was Quinn we were right. We were both right. But Quinn attacks Aaron and starts to strangle her when Ty- Tyson comes up and is like, you put her down. And Quinn's like, I could snap her neck like a toothpick. <laughs> this this is legitimate. My favorite part of the movie is Bill Mosley 
being a bad guy, giving his bad guy monologue about getting rid of his conscience, like what Unicom calls the Jiminy chip, which I actually found very clever. And originally he's only supposed to be there to kill Hook, but then he hears Aaron talking about getting rid of people who go against the company. He's just like, I see your point there. Good point. I should be doing more murders. <laughs> and he says the line of like, there's this teeny tiny chip in my big gargantuan brain. <laughs> he just goes full. He's, he is, the scenery is his buffet at this stage. He goes full on hamming it up and it is the best. It is my favorite part of this movie. Just Bill Mosley giving his bad guy monologue as an android with partial sentience who got rid of his own conscience because he plucked out his chip. It's it's super fun and he's he's clearly having fun himself. And so Aaron stabs him in the face with a comb, which is super effective, honestly. And they wrestle around with the shotgun a bit. And eventually Bill Mosley's like, well, first of all, Bill Mosley, the androids are super durable. He takes like a bunch of shotgun shells to the face and he is fine. Yeah. And then he he's like, how about we play a game of hide and seek? And then he runs off willy-nilly and just like, oh, okay, bye. It's it's really it's really good. And he, if he's an android whose goal is to just kill people, why does he run off? Like, it's there. It's very silly, but it's in the best possible way. Because <laughs> it's Bill Mosley. And we come to what is I think is the best scene in the movie, which is when Bill Mosley approaches Winston. And Winston's entire arm has swollen up at this stage. And so I should say, the reason Tyson realized that Bill Mosley was an android was he's like, okay, yeah, the Freon looks like blood. Winston was cut before the blade was cleaned, and his hand started to swell up. Therefore, they weren't exchanging blood. He got Freon in his hand. And that stuff is, like, super lethal against uh, normal humans and whatnot. So it's like... Yeah, it caused a ton of irritation and a ton of swelling super quick. So it's like, that actually does make a bit of sense. A little bit clever. It's like they actually thought this one out. They thought about it. That's clever. But we get a, a fantastic scene where Winston's like, yeah, Quinn, my arm is really bad. I need to I need to do something about this. He's like, yeah, well, you think that's bad? Look at me. And he steps out into the light and he's got like a shotgun blast in his head. And he's go he's full ham, full chaotic villain, where he's walking up with Winston. He's like, hey, fat boy, you want to bake some cookies? And he grabs his arms like, ooh, it's a bit too late for an amp for a doctor. It looks like we're going to have to amputate. And he rips Winston's arm off. And then he lifts him up into like a light, light fixture, and electrocutes him to death. And the whole Electrocution time... Electrocution number two of this movie. Yeah. And in the whole time... I, I don't know if you got this, but I was getting some, like, Ash from the Evil Dead vibes from him at this stage. I think it's just because he was doing crazy faces in a blue button-up. Which is hilarious because Bill Mosley actually was in Army of Darkness. Right. I, 
I I got a mix of Crazy Ash from Evil Dead 2 Army of Darkness and Pennywise from the It miniseries. Yeah, he's... Especially with the fat boy lines. Oh, yeah, yeah, But that is my vote for best scene. And he just, he just goes scurrying off like a crazy person after that scene. And we get another scene of him approaching one of the sex workers in a shower. And we got tits. And we get our... Our first instance of tits about... Babe, we got tits. Our first instance of of full boobage about 20 minutes from the close of the movie. It is a... We are on a kill-tacular streak. We are four movies in, and each one of them has had tits. And, of course, he, he starts seducing her in the shower. He doesn't and... seduce her so much as being like, Hey, you want to fuck? And she's like, cool, let's do it. And he's just like, keep your eyes closed. But like, you could you could tell she's into it. Yeah, and she's like, that's what I'm saying. She wasn't like coerced into it. She's like here, but she wasn't saying seduce. Looks sounds like he's going like, hey, why don't we go someplace where we can get to know each other a bit better, and we can. He's just like, hey, let's fuck, and she's like, cool, let's do it. <laughs> hey, you're here. I'm here. We're both naked. Let's fuck. Cool. Sounds great. But then she opens her eyes and sees that he's got the holes blown in his head. And and a metal plate and a skull for the second time. For the second time. And <laughs> she is also electrocuted in a very odd fashion. Yeah, he like he grabs the shower head and electrocutes her. But right. they, they did say the water pump was electric based. Which is yeah. why they had to pull water from the toilet. Yeah, but... At this point, all of the survivors get together. Bill Mosley has a shotgun now, for some reason. And he just goes to town. He blows one of the sex wor- the other sex worker off her feet with the shotgun. And now we're down to our last three characters. It seems that Tyson has, has killed him by knocking him into some electrical equipment. And they're like, okay, we Never gotta Never trust out. the villain to be dead the first time. Oh, yes, the previously dead killer comes back for one last scare as they get out to the surface and they're trying to escape, where Bill Mosley jumps down onto their car and proceeds to do this stunt scene where he's, like, on the hood of the car and, like, reaching in, trying to strangle them to death. Yeah, crashed in through the windshield, trying to reach in and get to them. Pretty decent driving stunts here, actually. Like, kudos there, like... Really well done. You could tell that they were still trying to be safe about it, but trying to get the most out of what they could do with it. So, kudos. It, it was pretty darn good. But I did take a, a pause the scene where he goes flying off the car and took a picture of the face. And that's very clearly not Bill Mosley. Like, the stunt actor doesn't even have hair, while Bill Mosley had hair as that character. <laughs> It's so blatantly not him that it's very funny. I mean, obviously, it's a stunt actor. I don't know. Bill Mosley is... I I feel like Bill Mosley would do his own stunts. I guess it depends on the film, but I mean, that could also be a life cast. A very poorly done life cast, but a life cast nonetheless. Right. Could not. Could be not a real person. It could just be a dummy in a suit. But... They are fighting, they're fighting Bill Mosley. He's got a prosthetic on that makes him look like Sloth from the Goonies. Yeah, one like... one eye is just sort of falling off to the side. A little droopier than the other. 
He's been through a lot. He has been through a lot. And he goes through even more as a power tower, as like a a power line tower. A power tower. On him. That's what I thought. That's a power tower. Uh, okay. A tower <laughs> falls on him, pinning them both to the ground. Aaron is like, we need to get them out. How do we do this in the most effective way possible? Oh, I know. I'll turn the giant robot back on and lift the tower off of them, which we get a scene of her, like, running out, you know, the robot, in admittedly, is a very good puppet. It's a good puppet. The way I wrote it in my note is, little girl in a big bot. Right. Like, uh, apparently this robot's fucking huge, like 80 feet tall or something. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely massive. And they lift it up, and Bill Mosley's, like, crawling on the ground trying to get to... Tyson, when the robot just... Yeah, because he, he self-amputated his legs and his arm to try and get to Tyson, and so I wrote just wrote in my note, I'll bite your ankles. He He's going at it super hard. He, he is here to complete his mission. He's got full Black Knight vibes going. But then the giant robot steps on him in a comedic way. <laughs> And then the giant robot turns off, and that is the end of that giant robot you see on the cover of the film. Five minutes. But then we get one final twist, where when they go back inside to find Aaron, she was looking at something on the computer. It turns out there were two synthoids. Dun, dun, dun. Sudden reveal that school teacher is a synthoid. Plot twist. She jumps on Tyson, starts strangling him to death. When Aaron comes back and just has a shotgun and says something that was supposed to be a one-liner, but it really sucked, so I forgot what it was. I also. But we get a head explosion. Headshot. It was. It sucked, but it was a head explosion. Android headshot. Which I also need to say, why? Why was this android so easily? Dispatched by a shot to the head when Bill Mosley was not. Maybe it's because this one was a bit closer range. Or because this one was a woman. That's sexist. I know, but it's something that Charles Band would write. Yeah. Either way, we end up back at the gas station with Tyson and Aaron leaving while Scratch stands on the side of the road watching a bunch of police cars go down the way headed towards the... TV station, and obviously it's like, yeah, Unicom found out that there were illegal computer supplies there, so they're going to go check it out. Thankfully, we got out of there in time. Time to join the resistance. Yeah, I feel like this was setting up for a sequel with Tyson and Aaron getting together while working with the ILU. Yeah, and we watch as they drive off into the sunset. That is the end of this movie. And if I'm being honest... If, if like, Blumhouse wanted to make a sequel to this movie, there is so many so much vague bullshit in the background of this movie, I feel like you could genuinely pull it off. Yeah, because, I mean, literally a sequel to this would be completely focused on the ILU, which we only got vague mentions of throughout this entire movie, but it's supposed to be, like, a huge plot point. I feel like this could almost be, like, a real steel slash scanners situation if you do this correctly. Right. 
Well, I can imagine them or, doing or like a Videodrome, sequel. not Scanners, Videodrome. I could imagine them doing a sort of Psycho Goreman-esque sequel to this film where it's super tongue-in-cheek and they super <laughs> sort of know and they're playing on those tropes. Where it's just like these two guys run it, these two characters running around in the post-apocalypse doing weird shit. And uh, it could be genuinely entertaining, I think. If they get the right people attached to it. But I want Bill Mosley to have a cameo. Oh, absolutely. And which leads me into my final question. Would you recommend that someone watch this movie? I would recommend this to someone if they are familiar with Bill Mosley's work and they like the way he do. Because, like, if, if you're a fan of Bill Mosley, yeah, definitely watch this movie because it's... It's a great use of his talent. Right. I was I was going to say the exact same thing, whereas if you're like a big Bill Mosley fan or anything like that, like James A. Janice, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I know you like Bill Mosley. Watch this movie. <laughs> James A. Janice isn't going to listen to us. But yeah, if you're like a big fan of Bill Mosley, watch this film. Watch, like, the last half an hour of it, of Bill Mosley just hamming it up at the camera, because it is genuinely entertaining. And I know we did kind of spoil the whole movie for you, but, I mean, we we glossed over some of the best bits in this movie, so it's, like, st- it's still worth a watch for his acting bits alone. And one last thing. What do you think the budget for this film was? Fifty grand. 50 on imdb it has an estimated budget of a million dollars seriously movies cost a lot of money well yeah i mean the prosthetic work all that fake blood um the location scouting the robot the robot bill mosley bill mosley was probably half the budget bill mosley uh (laughs) ate the budget along with the scenery (laughs) You know what? I I can forgive that. But, anyway... What are we watching next ep- episode? I'm glad you asked. Next episode, we are getting into our first sequel, Puppet Master 2. Yay! I can't wait to see if my opinion of there not being enough puppets in Puppet Master 1 holds true after watching this. I read a tiny little bit of the synopsis so far, like the very beginning stuff. I'm very excited for this sequel. Like, I'm I'm not even joking. I am genuinely excited. This is going to be terrible in the best way possible. I am very excited to continue with Puppet Master. But, as for tonight... I wish all of you a horrible evening, and and we'll catch you all next time. Bye-bye.